0: As you turn there, I wanted to draw your attention to something that happened to me this week, and maybe this is unique to me—I don't know. Uh, Maybe it's one of the occupational hazards of being a pastor. Uh, But from time to time, I'll get a text where people ask for advice, maybe specific advice. I don't know what it is, but sometimes there's a desire for people to ask for advice, like if to what to get to ask for one thing in one sentence just to have a piece of advice like that. And so they'll put it in maybe memory books or, you know, whatever. I'm not sure. But this, my friend texted me this week and said, listen, what's one thing you would tell a newlywed couple? What's one thing, which is impossible, Um, in one sentence? And so that was my task. So I tried to formulate something that was not stupid. And so I sent him a text back. Um, One thing in one sentence is hard to do. I get these questions. What's one thing in one sentence that you would suggest to a new father or a college graduate or someone starting out in ministry? What's one thing in one sentence? Now, at the risk of oversimplification, the one thing, you could make a case that the message of the Old Testament, the responsibility of the hearers of the Old Testament can be summarized like this. Keep your heart. One thing in one sentence, it's this. Keep your heart. Keep your heart. This is what we see in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, when we read, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, by heart, we're not talking about that organ in your chest that beats 140,000 times a day, delivering much-needed oxygen to every part of your body. That's not what we're talking about. From the Old Testament and the New Testament, the heart is a control center of your whole being. It's more like your mind than your brain. Your heart is that thing that decides what you love, what you hate, what you want, and what you can't live without. And so our message this morning from Hosea chapter 10 is keep... Your heart. Hosea is going to tell us, we need to watch out what we love. We need to watch out what we hate. We need to watch out what we can't live without. He's going to tell us to keep our hearts. And if I could add another small part to that one thing, it would be this. We're going to see that Hosea that is calling us to keep our hearts by keeping close to Jesus. And you might say, hey, this is the Old Testament. Jesus isn't in chapter 10, that's correct, but we do see the Lord's name, and how do we as Christians read the Bible? We read the Bible as Christians, so that means we read the Bible focused on Jesus. So to interact with the Lord means that we must interact with Jesus, and so our our one thought, our one thing in one sentence this morning is to keep our hearts by keeping close to Jesus. Now, I'm going to read the entirety of Hosea chapter 10, written to a land long since changed, to a situation long since gone, to a people long since dead, but this situation over still speaks to us today. Paul tells us we need to read stories like this, we need to know stories like this so that we might not desire evil as they did. Hosea chapter ten, verse one, says Here's the beginning of God's word. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more its fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. For now they will say, We have no king, we for we do not fear the Lord. And a king, what can he do for us? They utter mere words and empty oaths, and they make covenants. So judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf at Beth-Avon. Its people mourn for it, and so do the idolatrous priests. Those who who rejoice over it, over its glory, for it has departed from them. The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as tribute to the great king. If Ephraim shall be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol, Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. The high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on the altars, and they shall say to the mountains, Cover us! And to the hills, Fall on us! From the days of Gibeah you have sinned, O Israel, there they have continued. Shall not the, the war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah? When I please, I will discipline them. And nations shall be gathered against them when they are bound up for their double iniquity. Ephraim was like a trained calf that loved to thresh. And I spared her a fair neck, but I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow. Jacob must harrow for himself sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies, because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. Therefore, the tumult of war shall arise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be destroyed, as Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel on the day of battle. Mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great evil. At dawn, the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. Let's pray. Lord, there is a lot in that passage. Um, And a lot seems odd, strange, remote, and unintelligible, frankly, to us here in 21st century America. And so, Lord, what we ask is that you would work in and through your word, because we believe what you say about your word, that every part of it's profitable, for reproof and instruction, so that we might be presented as men and women complete, Lord. And so I pray that you would Help this sermon to do its part to impart the truth of what's communicated here. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to be able to sit beneath your word and hear your voice. I pray that you would overcome my many limitations, my many weaknesses. And I pray, Lord, that you would serve these people I love so much. I ask that you would be with us this morning. Holy Spirit, we know you're here, but we pray you would be here in power today through your word as it's preached. In your name we pray this morning. Amen. Three ways our passage directs us to keep our hearts by keeping close to Jesus. We're going to see the three ways that our passage directs us to keep our hearts, watch over our hearts, watch over what we love, watch over what we hate, watch over what we can't live without by keeping close to Jesus. The first way is to keep your heart. The first way to keep your heart is to beware of blessing. Beware of blessing. This is not something you probably expected to hear. This is not something you hear on k Lover Air One. This is something, though, we read about here in the Bible. Why are we saying that we should beware of blessings? Because sometimes blessings from God can lead to betrayal of God. And that's what happened in the nation of Israel. God's trying to call them back through the prophet Hosea. Israel had all the advantages of a nation protected by God, uh, curated by God, loved by God, given blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon them. And what did they do with those blessings? Look at verse 1. The more his, as speaking of Israel, fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. You see that? They receive blessing from the Lord, and instead of thanking God for what he has given them, instead of thanking them, they turn around and use those blessings to build altars to worship false gods. They turn around and use those blessings to build pillars, which are essentially Asherah poles. The more Israel was blessed by God, the more they ran from God. The Lord blessed them with food and provision and family and money and peace, and they turned and built altars and pillars to worship their false gods. Now the altars were the places that they would offer sacrifices to the Baal fertility gods. Pillars were like totem poles. And so they took God's blessing and ran from him. God blesses his people and his people betray him. So we need to be aware of blessing too. We're not made of anything different than Israel is. In fact, they're oriented so backwards that they don't even know who to fear. Look at verse 5. Well, actually, let's look at verse 3. What do we see in verse 3 here? We read, For we do not fear the Lord, the Lord who made heaven and earth, the Lord who, who holds all things in his hands, the Lord who is all-powerful and almighty. They say we don't fear him. Who do they fear? Look at verse 5. The inhabitants of Samaria, that's Israel, Samaria, Ephraim, um, Samaria, Ephraim, and, and Israel are all the same. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble at, for the calf of Beth-Avon, the calf of Beth-Avon. Do they tremble for God? No, they have no fear of God. They tremble for a baby cow idol. Now, that sounds ridiculous. Now, for that day and age, a calf was the symbol, the Canaanite symbol for fertility. Now, Egypt, or Egypt Israel was an agrarian society, and what to be able to have success they needed fertility in their land in their animals and in their families and so what they would do is they would offer sacrifices to a calf-like god so that they might have rain and that their crops would grow they would offer sacrifices to a calf-like god so that they might have more animals that their livestock would be would be plentiful and blessed they, they would offer sacrifices to this calf god so that they might have a lot of kids. What they did was they, and and as they received rain, and as they received crops, and as they received numerous, numerous children, these blessings from God led to betrayal of God. You see, blessings are dangerous things. It can be, we can fall into the trap of thinking that if we are blessed, it is, it is, it is a sign of God's pleasure. It may be a sign of testing. We're all aware when we face adversity, that's testing. But we're not as aware when we face prosperity. Israel was blind, they received blessings from God and turned from God. And so God says, You're mourning for the wrong things. And look at what he does in verse 6. The thing itself, meaning the altars, the poles, shall be carried to Assyria as tribute to the great king. All of those things that they invested all their worship into would be destroyed. Why? Because false gods can't protect. False gods can't defend. False gods can't provide. False gods can't respond. False gods can't even love back. And that's what they did. They took blessings from God and turned from God. Now, it's a really, really good thing that we're not like the Israelites at all, that we don't have false gods. I can imagine that there are none of us in this room who have a calf to the Baal Hadad, God of Canaan, in your backyard. In fact, we're going to start a program this week where leaders of our church are going to travel around just to make sure you don't have statues in your backyard that you're worshiping. Now, if we did that, that would be an utter waste of time, right? We don't worship Baal Hadad. We might worship Baal air conditioner, but that's a different conversation. Um, What we do worship are other kinds. Now, idols don't have to be things that are statues. Idolatry is not just an ancient problem. Lest you think it was something only for them back then, listen to the words of John, the old pastor in 1 John chapter 5. He says, little children keep yourselves from idols. Even we who follow Jesus can be trapped by idolatry. Now, none of us are going to be tempted to build altars or pillars in our backyard to worship an ancient Near East fertility god, but we will be tempted to worship other kinds of false gods. What is idolatry? Idol and idol and idolatry is anything that gobbles up our affection for Jesus, anything that receives our worship that is not Jesus Christ. That's why in our passage we said the one thing, the one thing we must do is to keep our heart by keeping close to Jesus. It is so easy for our hearts to be guided and wandered and wander away often to something that is not Jesus. Often to an idol that promises hope, that promises deliverance, that promises happiness, that promises fulfillment, that promises all kinds of things whether that be social media influence or being thought of as a good mom or providing well. We can worship being in control or getting time with grandkids or having people agree with us or money or vacations or just being right. Anything can be an idol. And so what we must do is be aware. Be aware that sometimes those things that we receive that are blessings from God are those things that we can turn into idols. Can a family be an idol? Yes. Can money be idols? Yes. Can any blessing you receive be an idol? Yes. You see, it's possible to live for blessings from God instead of living for God. It's possible to live for blessings instead of living for Jesus. This is why we need to keep our hearts by keeping close to Jesus. See, instead of, we must be people who live for Jesus and enjoy his blessings. We're not called to asceticism. He blesses us and we don't have to act like we don't enjoy those blessings, but we do not live for those blessings. So what we must do is keep our hearts by keeping close to Jesus. First thing you do is watch out for blessings. Second thing, Recognize that idolatry always, 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 always ends badly. Always. It's good for us to see the example of Israel here. They trusted in idols. God warned them. They didn't respond, and they're destroyed. It wasn't over a weekend that all of these warnings happened, but decades and centuries, and they did not respond. And like we saw at the beginning, We see this so that we might not desire evil as they did. These people trusted in those things that would be washed away. And that's what happens with people who trust in idols. Those who trust in idols. Those who trust in idols trust in their own way. Those who trust in idols will be swept away. And that's what what we see here in Hosea chapter 10. The Lord says, all those things that are not me will be swept away. See, at some time, uh, in this passage here, Israel was real fickle, so they would go from being proud of their king to not saying that they didn't need a king, and they'd go back and forth, and so their king, at one point, they saw would be a mighty oak that would protect them against all kinds of different other warring nations that want to come and take their land, and they'd put their trust in the king, and in the covenants he could make with the other countries around, and the Lord says, well, this is what's going to happen to your king. Look at verse 7. Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. Have you ever seen a twig on a river? Have you ever seen a twig, you know, just a little twig on a river? What happens to that twig on the river? It just gets swept along. Little twigs don't stop big rivers. That's what an idol is like. A little idol can't stop the big circumstances and rivers of life. Not only that, but verse 8, the high places of Avon, this is a place that they worship, the sin of Israel shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars. So their holy places to Baal would be destroyed and derelict vegetation would grow up over these things. Those altars that they used all the time to sacrifice to their fertility gods would soon be taken over by weeds. All of their objects of worship would fall into dereliction. And how bad would things get? How bad is it for people who trust in idols? How bad does it get? Look at verse 8. And they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills fall on us. See, those who trust in idols over and against Jesus, those who trust in idols over and against Jesus would rather have death than face the punishment and the wrath of the lamb, as it were. Idolatry always ends badly. False gods promise protection but cannot. False gods promise defense but cannot defend. False gods promise provision and they do not provide. False gods cannot respond to people's crying out. It's interesting that John picks this up in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 6 verse 15, instead of the focus being Israel in the northern kingdom here, it's the whole world. Revelation 6:15 says And the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come, who can stand? You see, there were people in Israel's day who said, God is making all of these kinds of all of these kinds of threats, but nothing is ever going to happen from it. I don't have to really worry. I can keep going about my day offering sacrifice to the Baal that I choose, and nothing's really going to happen. And he's patient, and he's kind, and he's slow to anger, and he's merciful, and he's abounding in steadfast love. And so he sends prophet after prophet after prophet, and the people refuse to respond. And so one day, Assyria comes in and destroys the northern part of the kingdom. Now, that's 2,900 years ago, and you might think that has nothing to do with us. Rather, it does. Look at the passage we saw in Revelation chapter 6 is the whole earth. Just as there was a day set for Assyria to come and destroy the northern kingdom, there is a day where the world will end at the hand of God. And it will be so bad that there will be people who would rather die than face the Lord. And the reason that John picks this up is for us to, even though we haven't received, we haven't seen or experienced the end of the world, it's coming. How do we know? Because we saw the promise in Hosea that God would destroy a people who would not bow to him, and he did. See, this is why we need to see idolatry does not end well. God is patient, but he won't wait forever. Though he doesn't strike us down immediately, that does not mean there isn't a day coming. See, this is really important for you to understand if you're not following Jesus. If you're not following Jesus and you think you have time and you think that you're okay and you think that he doesn't see, that's not true. There will come a day where there will be a reckoning and everyone that serves something other than Jesus will, be, will face a, a dreadful future. And so if you're here and you're not following Jesus, listen, we've all been there. We've all been there where we've lived for other things like boyfriends or girlfriends or money or the next opportunity or education or a career or the next high. But none of these things can protect you from God. None of these things are worth building your life upon. Do you know how all of these things end? Badly. Not only do they end badly, It's pretty bad in the middle, too. If you're not a believer, talk to somebody you know who is. Today's the perfect day. We have a picnic. There's a ton of Christians milling around eating. Talk to one about what it means to follow Jesus. Christians, we need to keep our hearts, too, because we can fall into idolatry. See, a display of God's peculiar love through Hosea is that he warns us against idolatry. He's kind to show us those things that we are tempted to worship instead of Him. See, all of us are apt to take His blessings and worship those and just merely enjoy Jesus instead of thanking Him for His blessings and living for Him. The Lord will discipline those that are His. He says that in verse 10, When I please, I will discipline them. Some of us are being disciplined now by the Lord. You know how his discipline starts? Oftentimes it starts with a pang of conviction in our hearts. Our conscience. Our conscience is, is, a, is just it's going off. And, you know, we can turn away from that. We can reject that. We can say, I'm not going to listen. And sometimes the Lord, in a next step of discipline, delivers a painful circumstance. We can decide even not to listen to that. Sometimes the Lord continues to give conviction and then even brings faithful friends to point things out. And and if you don't listen to that, you need to recognize He won't stop. He is jealous, and He's not willing for us to worship or serve anything that's not Jesus. We must keep our hearts by keeping close to Jesus. We must keep our hearts by keeping close close to Jesus. We've seen that. We've seen that we must beware of blessings and we must recognize that idolatry always ends badly. And lastly, the last way to keep our heart is to recognize it is always time. Verse 12 says, "For For it is the time to seek the Lord. It's always time. Look at verse 12. In, in its entirety. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may rain righteousness upon, upon you. Now, when he calls, when Hosea is calling for the northern kingdom to sow for themselves righteousness, he's not just saying, okay, now start to do a bunch of good things. Rather, he's asking something different. He's saying, It's a time now to seek the Lord, to stay close to Jesus. This is a call to set your face toward righteousness. This is a call to stay close to Jesus. This is very much like what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 4, in his famous upper room discourse when he says, Abide in me. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Sowing righteousness means remembering that as Christians, we are united to Jesus Christ. We do not... We, we, we are not our own anymore. We have been bonded to Jesus Christ. We are his. By the very purchase of his death for our sins and his resurrection for our justification, we are now united to him. Our call here when Hosea says that we must be people who sow for ourselves righteousness, it's this. We must be a people who look like we're Christians in our life, and our mouths does your life testify to your Savior or does your life testify to an idol? Now make no mistake, being a Christian, nobody's saved through obedience. At the same time, being a Christian, you, being a Christian is not just making a decision, praying a prayer, raising a hand, believing a fact or two, getting baptized, but being a Christian is following Jesus. It's those people who follow Jesus wherever he goes. Does your life announce that kind of discipleship, that kind of followership? Or does your life say something different? See, this is where we need to keep our hearts. This is where we need to keep our hearts. Now, most of us in this room are probably not contemplating some kind of grievous or heinous sin. But it's very easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that because we're not doing something overtly horrible on the outside, that we're okay. We need to get personal. The way we keep our hearts is by checking our thoughts, by checking those things in our minds. Does does your heart, do the thoughts of your mind say that you are a follower of Jesus? It's possible to read the Bible, go to church, sing, and yet clutch on inside, clutch inside onto bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, cynicism, jealousy, and envy. You see, here's the problem. Those things that are in your heart, let's say you have bitterness in your heart and you won't let it go. Right now, it might be bottled up inside and it might be something only you're aware of, but that's only for a short time. Anyone who is marked by bitterness will have that pour out of who they are. The same thing with unforgiveness. Now, do Christians struggle with bitterness Yes, but no Christian is typified as a bitter person, or they ought not to be. Do Christians struggle with unforgiveness? Certainly, but it's very different to say that person is unforgiving. Do Christians struggle with anger? Yes, but Christians do not give themselves entirely over to anger so that their life is defined by anger. No, our lives are to be defined by Jesus Christ. And we must keep our hearts by keeping close to Jesus. See, not only does he forgive us of our every sin, but he empowers us to fight against them. See, friend, it's time for us again to seek the Lord. We do not seek the Lord apart from Jesus Christ. We do not seek the Lord apart from him. We cannot seek the Lord apart from him. Seek the Lord, and also, he says, reap steadfast love in verse 12. Now, does this mean that if we obey, we will earn his love? No, but it does mean when we follow Jesus, we will feel his love and be more aware of his love. Now, we all wander, we all fall, we get distracted, but it's not too late. See, if we wander, fall, get distracted, go away, there are times where we can say, I just don't feel his love. And it's no wonder you don't feel his love if you're not staying close to him. If you're not staying close, you're not going to feel his love. You're not going to be aware of his promises for you. You're not going to be aware of who he is on a day-to-day basis. And we need him more than anything else. Because without him, what can we do? We can do nothing. Nothing. We've got nothing. For some of us, we need to break up what Hosea calls fallow ground. That's ground that has been trodden over and packed down. Some of our hearts are like that. Have you ever been hiking? Of course, all of us have. And you see a path that's beaten through the woods. And so many people have come by and have walked on it so that you have this path that cuts through the woods. And in this path, there is nothing that grows. You just have a beaten path all the way through the woods. There's vegetation to the right, vegetation to the left, but a path through the woods. That's fallow ground. Nothing can grow there. And some of us have hearts that are like that. And you know how our hearts get hard? Our hearts get hard When we allow idols to invade, when we decide that we're going to serve something else besides Jesus, when we decide we're going to live for someone else or something else besides Jesus. See, this is why we must keep our hearts by keeping close to Jesus. We've seen that we need to beware of blessings because we can turn those into idols. We've seen that idolatry always ends badly. And we've also seen that it's time to seek the Lord because you know what? It's never too late. It's never too late. If you can hear my voice, if you're aware right now, it's not too late to turn. Think about that thing that you're tempted to live for. Think about that thing that you're tempted to build your life on. What is that? Put it in your mind's eye. Maybe it's being a good mom. If you become a good mom, will you be fulfilled? Ultimately, no. Maybe it's being in control. If everybody saw that you were in control and they should just do what you say, would that make you fulfilled and happy? No. You see, Jesus is totally different. Jesus is the one person that we can build our life upon without reserve. There is no idol that died for us like Jesus did. There is no idol that rose from the dead like Jesus did. There is no idol even now interceding for us like Jesus is. There is no idol cheering us on even as we sit here like Jesus is. And there is no idol that promises, I will never leave you or forsake you and will do just that. Idols promise they won't leave us, but they always do. You see, we need to keep our hearts by keeping close to jesus otherwise idols will invade so what might be something the lord is putting his finger on in your heart what might be something the holy spirit is pointing out what idol might you hold that you need to put away A good way, maybe you're thinking, I don't even know how to think about identifying an idol. This this whole thought of idolatry is brand new. Well, here's a way to identify. A good way to identify potential idols is this. Ask this question, what makes me most angry? What makes me most angry? Because when we get angry, really what's happening is we're responding to something that we're not getting. Or we get something we don't want. I've been going through, personally, for an exercise through the book of Mark. And I walk with Jesus throughout the book of Mark, and I've noticed that Jesus doesn't get angry when he's misunderstood. He doesn't get angry when he's treated unfairly. He doesn't get angry when his words are twisted. He doesn't get angry when his disciples abandon him. He doesn't get angry when his rights are stripped. He doesn't get angry when people don't listen. He doesn't even get angry when he's hung on that cross. But Mark uses a word. There is one spot where Jesus gets, what Mark says, indignant. He gets indignant. You know when he gets indignant? It's in Mark chapter 10. When children were coming, parents were bringing their children to Jesus so that he might bless them. And the disciples rebuked them. Jesus got indignant. He says, what are you guys doing? To such belongs the kingdom of God. He wasn't angry about anything regarding himself. See, that's where I fall short. See, when I'm angry, I get angry often because I'm misunderstood or I'm treated unfairly, or my words are tris- twisted, or, or my rights get taken away, or someone looks down on me for a reason that I don't think they should, or, or I'm not right, or I'm not listened, or I'm, or I'm shunted to the side. But that's not the way it is with Jesus. That's not the way it is with him. He was angry when the children were not treated the way they ought to be. When others were overlooked and trodden upon, See, what makes you angry? Look in your life and ask yourself, what makes you angry? Whatever that is, chances are you can draw a direct line back to what you love more than Jesus, or what you might be potentially loving more than Him. This is why we must keep close to Jesus. We must keep close to Jesus. We must. This is, This is... This is Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can give us what he promises. Jesus is the only one that we can't live without. Jesus is the only one who always welcomes us to him. Jesus is the only one who gives us everything that he promises. Idols promise happiness, but deliver despair. Idols promise help, but deliver trouble. Idols promise hope, but give angst. Idols promise meaning and provide emptiness. Jesus is different. Jesus is better than any blessing. Jesus promise happy, promises happiness and delivers it for all eternity. Jesus promises help and never leaves us. Jesus promises hope, and it will never fade. Jesus promises meaning, and we will always have it. Jesus promises fulfillment, and we will never, ever, ultimately be lacking when we follow him. He is better than any blessing. All Following him is always right, and he always welcomes us to him. Today is the day to seek the Lord. So, If you're a Christian and you're aware of something in your life that's taken, an idol that's taken some territory in your heart, ask for help from the Lord. If you're not a Christian, talk to somebody who you know is. But may we be a people who keep our hearts by keeping close to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, even as I say keep, that we would keep our hearts as we keep close to you, I recognize you're not far. You're not far. We're the ones who run off. We're the ones who wander away. We're the ones who take our freedom and flaunt it and, 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 and get distracted and, and wander off, Lord. Those, that's who we are. But you are right there with us. You are that one who is with us, who promises to be with us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people who guard our hearts, who keep our hearts as we keep close to you. Help us to be a people that read the scriptures and pray and and come and serve at church and and come and worship together at church and and have fellowship together. I pray that you would help us to be a people who utilize the means of grace that you provide so that we might be able to be near you. And Lord, I pray that if there are anybody, if there are people here who are convicted of ways in which they've erected some kind of idol on a pill- pillar in their hearts, that you would help them to tear that down and replace it with you. Lord, I pray that we would not be a people that build altars to money or leisure or education or being right or any kinds of things like that, but, but that we would build our lives upon you. One day, all things will end. One day, there will, be a, there will be people who will cry out to the rocks. Lord, we don't want to cry out to the rocks. We want to cry out to our Savior. We want to cry out to our Savior right now and say, help us, and we know you will. And so, Lord, I pray for us Christians in the room, help us to keep our hearts. I pray for if there are any people here who are not believers, Lord, I pray that you would help them to want to build their life upon you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.